Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled Options for an Infant with Atopic Dermatitis is provided by RMEI Medical Education, LLC and is supported by an independent educational grant from Santa Fe Genzyme and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Today will feature the last of our clinical consult series. We would like to thank all of you for submitting your case for discussion. I'm Dr. Peter Leo, and I'm again joined by Dr. Eric Simpson and Dr. Mark Boganiewicz. Today's patient is a six-month-old baby with severe atopic dermatitis and sleep disturbance. He is not controlled on topical corticosteroids, topical calcineurin inhibitors, or emollients. The question asker has explained that they've tried multiple short courses of oral steroids in the past that gives temporary improvement but not sustained. So the first part of the question I'd like to ask Dr. Boganiewicz, what emerging treatment options do we have for this very young age group? Um, Peter, you know, this is unfortunately all too often a, um, a common scenario that we face. Um, and. I think that, uh, you know, we really need to um, consider before we talk about newer emerging uh, treatments to take a step back. And uh, one of the things that you might think about is in an infant with an eczematous rash, is it possible that we are treating something other than atopic dermatitis? We recognize atopic derm as such a common chronic inflammatory skin condition um, in this population, but yet there are those rare immunodeficiencies, in fact, that can present with a very much atopic dermatitis uh, picture. And so um, we need to consider that in a patient who truly doesn't respond. Here, I think the history was somewhat reassuring in that you mentioned that the patient did respond to systemic uh, steroids, even though we would say we really uh, don't want to go down that path of, of recurrent um, use of systemic steroids, but we would document that the patient has a steroid-responsive uh, dermatitis. Um, after that, I would say my approach would be to put the patient in a controlled setting and uh, see what the response to uh, more conventional, meaning topical treatment would be, often combining a um, lower mid-potency topical steroid with wet wrap therapy for four or five days. And then if that patient truly was not responsive to that, I would think about even a skin biopsy and, and looking further into the uh, differential. But to answer the question that you posed, um, emerging treatments. Um, you know, with topical calcineurin inhibitors, I would just say historically, um, we had hoped to get approval down to three months of age, and studies were done in that age range, and this patient apparently has failed off-label use of uh, topical calcineurin inhibitors. Studies with a topical um, PBE4 phosphodiesterase 4 um, uh, inhibitor ointment have been completed down to three months of age, but we await 
um, or at least I'm not aware of the results yet from those uh, trials. And as um, Dr. Simpson uh, has mentioned in a previous case, and he's participated in trials with uh, dupilumab, um, a uh, systemic biologic therapy, uh, down to six months of age. Um, I don't know if, um, Eric, you want to share any of your experience there or thoughts about this patient. Uh, sure. I mean, I, um, I think it's a very rare situation that this, that this happens, and I completely agree with you, Mark, that um, I, would I would take a step back, re and confirm the diagnosis, consider other alternatives. Is the, is the patient um, having failure to thrive? Have there been pneumonias? Are there concerns for... Uh, immunodeficiency syndrome and work with our genetic and allergy colleagues uh, to figure that out. Assuming this is a severe atopic dermatitis, I you know, often talk to my residents when I hear a case like this, the devil's in the details, and the details are what's most important about uh, good outcomes in patients like this. And so I would really want to know, did the, did the patient ever clear on topical steroids? So if you used once a day or twice a day, medium potency, like you said, or even high potency for a week, full body, did that patient clear, and then the disease just starts returning, and that that's their impression of something not working. And I, I for the majority of these kids that have this story, I find that if you can uh, induce uh, clearance with with medium potency topical steroids, usually at this age range for maybe one to two weeks, uh, I like to employ uh, either pimacrolimus cream, which we do have safety data down to three months. This is all off-label, uh, but we do have some uh, some safety data in that patient in that age range, uh, or even tacrolimus ointment, either 0.03 or 0.1, and use that in a proactive fashion to normal skin. And this is uh, this hasn't been studied on a daily basis. It's been usually intermittent. Uh, but for these severe kids like this, where I'm thinking they're going to need cyclosporin, or they received oral steroids that could potentially even amplify the disease at times, uh, I'll do daily full body uh, pimacrolimus cream or tacrolimus ointment to normal skin uh, and then do that in a, in a, a tapered off fashion um, uh, because they are so severe. And so sometimes you can avoid systemic therapy if you get very aggressive about proactive treatment with non-steroidal approaches. Uh, and that could be pimercolimus cream, tacrolimus ointment, or the new uh, drug crystoboral, uh, a new, uh, new non-steroidal. I really like that. So, so the idea there is we want to get them clear, which you know presumably we can with the appropriate strains of corticosteroid, maybe even a mid-potency, something like triamcinolone, maybe with the addition of wet wrap therapy, let's get this cleared up. But then instead of just stopping uh, at the end of five or seven or maybe even 10 days of intense intense treatment, then we'd say, no, we're not going to do nothing, but we're going to do a non-steroidal, so the whole body application, even if the skin looks good, to maintain it. I, I think that's brilliant. Of course, this is all very off-label, and I feel like most People don't do it this way yet, but this really seems like the best way for these difficult cases, and I think they can turn everything around. Dr. B, in inpatient in setting, when you guys do your day center, is similar to that, is it not? It is, and I would say, though, it's really important to emphasize that unlike our European colleagues who view a wet wrap therapy as something that they may do long-term, we really think of it as heroic rescue, so an acute intervention that most of our severe patients can be um, discontinued from in after four or five days. Occasionally, we'll use it selectively, like to resistant hand or foot eczema longer. But the downside of prolonging mm -hmm. wet wrap therapy is that uh, you risk the uh, 
the possibility of a folliculitis. Sometimes it's a sterile occlusion folliculitis, but in this day and age of MRSA, we always um, have concerns about uh, overuse of wet wrap therapy. And of course, it makes life more difficult for um, our families. It's time consuming. Um, you know, the way we uh, would do the minimal um, wet wrap therapy would be a bedtime application to selectively the worst areas of eczema over a topical corticosteroid. Again, because topical calcineurin inhibitors actually say not to use with uh, occlusive dressings, um, you know, we don't do it, even though you could argue that it, it probably uh, would be uh, safe for short-term use, but we use uh, wet wraps with topical steroids. Occasionally, you hear about people using them only with moisturizer, and to us, that really doesn't make sense because we're using it when uh, the eczema is really severe. That is great information. Now, the last question they wanted to address was, is there anything that can be done right now to reduce the risk of developing food allergies or other types of allergies or asthma in the future? What do we think is the state of the art? And Dr. Simpson, you maybe should start us off since you kind of, you started this whole, this whole thing with the mm -hmm. concept of prevention with moisturization. Sure, yeah. And, it, uh, you know, the idea of preventing allergies has been around for, uh, you know, for five decades at least, and it's just had varied approaches. Some have been allergy avoidance. Uh, we've been interested in, in uh, food restriction or food avoidance, dust mite avoidance, et cetera, et cetera, and nothing's really panning out. Uh, we've been interested in potentially protecting the barrier uh, from birth, uh, especially in high-risk neonates, and we've seen some um, positive responses in some of the clinical trials that have been performed both in the United States, Asia, uh, and in Asia. Um, some of the confirmatory studies are ongoing. Some of them have not been positive. Um, so we still don't know the role of emollients early in life, if that can prevent atopic dermatitis. But the hypothesis is if we can prevent atopic dermatitis, if we can control the, or reduce the barrier dysfunction early in life, we may be able to uh, uh, modify the whole atopic march, uh, potentially reduce the IgE sensitization that could happen through the skin. Uh, and even just reducing atopic dermatitis, you might be able to prevent uh, things like downstream events like allergic asthma uh, or even food allergy. So none of this has been shown. These are out, uh, endpoints that we're looking at right now in, in a big uh, cohort of 1,200 babies. So we're going we're to know in a couple of years, uh, have a readout there. Um, I think a, a big question that still remains uh, to be studied is whether early control of atopic dermatitis with any means. So if you, once you develop atopic dermatitis, if you control that aggressively, with the proactive approach or with systemic such as uh, uh, anti-IL-413 therapy, can that modify the allergic uh, march or the risk of developing uh, asthma, hay fever, food allergy? And again, these are very difficult, very expensive studies. You need to treat kids very early. Uh, and so um, that, that, that's a big, important question that's yet to be answered. Yeah, such a complex um, and critical issue. Part of our frustration is that it's hard to identify um, really who are the at-risk patients to design the uh, right trials. And so we have been frustrated with some of the um, early intervention trials. Nevertheless, we know that so much of that uh, sensitization does occur through that damaged skin barrier. We know that patients who, for example, have mutations in filagrin um, 
that have the you know which is the the the, the risk factor that's most strongly associated uh, with development of atopic dermatitis also is a risk factor for development of um, asthma and um, allergy. So we think that uh, there's something to be done there uh, in early intervention, like uh, Eric mentioned. It's just figuring out uh, the timing and the, the right intervention. Well, that's fantastic and, and very, very comprehensive. I'd like to thank you for joining us today, and I want to just remind our participants to please take the post-test and complete the evaluation to receive the CME credit. Thank you for your attention. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by RMEI Medical Education, LLC and is supported by an independent educational grant from Sanofi Genzyme and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com severeAD. Thank you for listening.